Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy, happy Friday. It's the Friday wrap-up here on Montero Unboxing. Hope you guys have had a fantastic week and you enjoyed that Tuesday boxing, that special treat that we got from the monster, Nayoya Inoue, there in Tokyo, Japan. And you're geared up for a fun card tomorrow night that Showtime is putting on with two prospects, uh, putting their O's on the line against each other, Shell Rivera going up against Frank Martin. That should be a lot of fun. That's a pretty solid card there, like a year-end card from um, from TGB Promotions and PBC, keeping some of the prospects busy. Uh, in the meantime, not a whole lot going on. This will be the last Friday wrap-up of the year, right? Um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of podcasts are not even putting out material right now, so I hope you guys appreciate that I'm trying to put out a few shows here and there. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to look at some end of year stuff, best of kind of stuff. And I really wanted to take a look at the the different platforms in boxing, particularly here in the United States, and um, just get you guys' thoughts. And of course, I'll give you mine. So I wanted to share real quick. Uh, by the way, I got a beer because you know what? It's Friday. I'm not really training right now, so I can have one. This is a German beer. I can't even pronounce it which that means it's got to be good, right? So cheers, guys. You know, crack a beer. It's 5 o'clock. You know, wherever you're at. I don't care where you're at. Crack a beer. It's Friday. Have a little fun. Um, yeah, that's about it. How are you guys doing? How's everybody doing out there? You gearing up for the holidays? Are you excited? Is it good? What's up? Tell me. Get in the chat. Get in the chat. Get on the phone, by the way, too. Uh, I got the phone lines open if you guys want to talk. I'll probably, I'm not going to run super duper long. I may take a few calls. I may not. It depends, but definitely get in the chat. Smash that like button while you're at it. Make sure you share the video. Pay the fee, right? As I say. All right. Let's see. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, I think the phone lines dropped. Well, okay. No, actually, it shows on my end that we're good. So anyway, let me share my screen, guys. I want to show you something. I, I've been meaning to show this poll that I posted, but I uh, I just keep forgetting. So I did one of my polls on Twitter. You know, I love my polls. I did this actually, shit, a couple weeks ago almost. And I asked you guys, as 2022 comes to a close, which major promotional company had the best year in your opinion? Who had the biggest events, the most meaningful fights, the most consistent schedule, the biggest global impact, yada, 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 right? All those things mixed into one overall, who had the best year? And I asked, uh, I gave four options, premier boxing champions, matchroom boxing, top rank, or somebody else. And um, we got, let's see, over 6,000 votes. So this was a pretty good poll. I got a pretty good response on this one. Uh, some polls are hit or miss. This one did pretty well. Over 70% of you said Matchroom. And I have a global following. I mean, most of my following, I would say, is in North America, maybe about half, just over half. But I have a very, very global following on my Twitter and on my YouTube especially. So I feel that the responses that I get in my polls really give a good indication of the global um fan base, you know, at least in the English speaking world, right? Let's be fair on that. Um, and then people in different parts of the world that, you know, maybe it's a different language. There is their native tongue, but they do understand English because obviously my Twitter is in English and my show here on YouTube is in English. So um, the English speaking world, but the world at large, I feel that my polls and stuff like that really give a good indication of what the global feel is. 
over 70% of you said, said matchroom boxing. Um, about 15% almost said top rank, about 10%, almost 11% said somebody else, and uh, about 3.5% said PBC. I think those are fair responses. Um, and I got a bunch of responses in terms of, uh, you know, somebody else, right? You guys gave me your thoughts on that. And some of you guys are just trolling and having a little fun. I think a couple of you guys said Shriller. Uh, a couple of you guys said BLK Prime. Or you're having a little fun. Pretty much, though, unanimously, you guys went with Matchroom. And I think, so obviously here in the United States anyway, and actually most parts of the world, Matchroom is synonymous with the zone, right? Um, this year they launched in a bunch of other countries, including um, the UK, although a couple of their fights, interestingly enough, uh, Anthony Joshua fights went to other networks. But for the most part, okay, Matchroom is the zone. And of course, PBC here in the United States, that is on Fox and Showtime. And increasingly, more so on Showtime and less on Fox. And the big fights are going to pay-per-view. More on that in a second. And top rank, of course, is synonymous with ESPN. So those are the three, the big three, as we say. Those are, and not even just in America. I would say globally, those are the big three. When you look at who represents the most fighters, and the most uh, championship elite level fighters, it's those three platforms, right? So, you know, honestly, this is a global question. This isn't just for American fight fans. I feel this is fair to open up to fans from all over the world. Um, so, for instance, I mean, Naoya Inoue just fought, right? Pound for pound. By the way, he smashed Paul Butler as we thought he would. Uh, Paul Butler put up a very brave effort, but was mostly defensive. In a way, gets the late stoppage, completely unifies Bantam 118, and immediately says, I'm moving up to 122. So this guy's about to go to his, what, fourth division now and start to conquer that in 2023. If you don't have him in your top three pound for pound, you do not know the sport of boxing. You do not know what you're watching. So stop calling yourself a fan because you just don't know what you're watching. Whether you have him number one, number two, number three, whatever. You need to have Inouye toward the top of your pound-for-pound pound list. But I bring that fight up specifically, not, not just because it happened this week, right? But because here in the States, boom, I can pull it up on my ESPN Plus app Tuesday morning. And here on the East Coast, um, it, we, you know, we, we bitch about fight cards going really, really late here on the East Coast. But this was an example where it worked to, to our advantage being on the East Coast because that started right around 7 a.m., the main event. And people on the West Coast, where I used to live, that, that was four in the morning. That, that's, a tough, that's a tough live watch, right? So uh, it was actually a benefit to be on the East Coast this time. But that's value. D to be able, as a diehard boxing degenerate, which I am, I watch everything, to be able to get up, well, shit, who are we kidding? I was already awake dealing with my baby. To be able to, you know, turn on my ESPN Plus app and see one of the top fighters in the world fight live. It's not just that I could, oh, I could watch a tape delay. Because you guys remember back in the day when HBO Boxing was doing their thing, they would show, sometimes they'd show fights live, but a lot of times they'd show tape delay stuff from like Germany or whatever part of the world, right? And now, man, I could watch one of the best operators in the world live with my morning coffee. That's huge value to me 
is a boxing fan and I don't have to pay extra. That's part of my ESPN plus subscription. Right. So anyway, that's what I'm getting to here. Which platform is providing the most value, the most bang for your buck as a boxing fan? That's why I wanted to bring this poll up. And I've been meaning to to show you guys this, but I uh, just kept forgetting. So I want to also show you guys a graphic that I put together. And I've done this before uh, in in previous years. But um, let me see here. Let me pull this up. But I, I updated it for this year. Let me make sure I got this pulled up correctly. Yeah. Now, look, I apologize that this is kind of small. Let me see if I can make this bigger, guys. All right. There we go. Hopefully, you can see all this. And it's not too fuzzy. But what I did here, for those of you listening on the the audio version later, I actually built out an Excel file. And um, I keep up on this all year. I have a, um, like a, what do you call it? Ah, A template. And I just fill it in. Week by week, I just go in there and plug it. So it does. this doesn't take me long at all. Honestly, it really doesn't take me long at all. To build the template took 15 minutes. And now throughout the year, you know, 30 seconds a week I spend on this, if that. Actually, it's more like a minute a month, maybe. Anyway, comparing DAZN in column one here, the blue column, comparing ESPN and ESPN Plus in the green column, second column, and then the third, the orange column, Showtime and Fox. And obviously, you guys know which... Uh, promotional companies these platforms are synonymous with. I should mention, you know, ESPN and Showtime Fox, they are with one particular promotion, right? DAZN, to be fair, there's several promoters that actually have their fighters fighting on DAZN. It's not just Matchroom. It's also Golden Boy. And there are some other plat- uh, fighters that fight on that platform too. Um, I think Zanfer Promotions has their fighters on there sometimes. So so you kind of get a smorgasbord, more global smorgasbord on the zone, right? And then e- at least in America, ESPN, Showtime, those are American networks are synonymous with two particular promotional outfits. All right. So at the top, I mentioned the subscription price for these platforms. And this is where... Showtime slash Fox slash PBC is providing the best value because uh, and if my subscription prices are off, guys, please correct me. But as, as, as best as I can figure, DAZN, obviously, they bumped up the, the price to a buck fifty a year. So I put that in there. Um, ESPN, ESPN Plus. Now, you pay for the ESPN Plus app, which is 100 bucks per year. But technically, you're also paying for ESPN. And the, there's like 5,000 ESPNs now, right? There's ESPN2, ESPN3. All of that is part of your cable package. So I've, I've, I've tried to do research on this and figure out how much from your cable package is paying for ESPN. And I, I found $9 a month. Now, maybe it's less than that. I don't know. Maybe my market, it's more expensive than most markets. But as best as I can figure about $9 of your cable bill a month on most packages. If you get like the sports package, which a lot of you guys do, if you're watching this show, about $9 of that is paying for the ESPN package. Then you pay for the ESPN plus app. So that's about $208 as I can figure it. Let's just round it off to 200 bucks a year for the ESPN package. Okay. And then over with Showtime Fox, obviously you get Fox for free. That's one of the just regular networks that you get. Just turn on your TV, boom, you got Fox. 
But Showtime is premium cable. You pay for that. Uh, best I can figure, it's about 11 bucks a month. So $130, let's call it, for Showtime. So just to get the actual subscription, PBC is the best value, right? At least it, it barely beats out the zone, though, I, I do have to say. Although you can make the argument, well, with Showtime and Fox, you get all this other programming that's non-boxing related. The zone is pretty much, a, it's a sports app, and pretty much in America, at least, in most countries, it's just boxing, right? Or primarily boxing. ESPN, obviously, there's this whole, like, uh, catalog of, of, of material that you can view, but it's sports related. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Then from there, I break down, you'll see, like, four lines, I'm sorry, three lines making four sections of each column. That is each quarter of the year. So quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. And I, I put on here, I mentioned what I thought were the best fights of the quarter provided by that platform. Hopefully I didn't miss any. You guys can argue which are the better fights and all that good stuff. But I put down here, which were the best that that platform provided during that quarter, right? So um, I'm not even going to go over all these. You guys can see it right now. And those of you listening on the audio, um, I'll post I'll post this on my social media. I'll post this on my Twitter or whatever so you guys can check out this graphic. I've done it before. But one thing I did mention <clears throat> on this is if there was an additional – losing my voice already – if there was an additional cost for a pay-per-view. Now, this year, ESPN technically only did one pay-per-view, and that was when Tyson Fury fought Dillian White back on April uh, 23rd. They charged 70 bucks for that. That was a hard sell. That pay-per-view bombed here in the United States. But that was it, right? Now, DAZN, you had two pay-per-views. It was both of Canelo's fights. His fight against Bevel, his fight against Golovkin. It was 60 to 65. Boom, I added that in the price. Now, this is where it gets tough for PBC because you guys can see right here, they did at least one, sometimes a couple, pay-per-views a quarter. Look at the price. I mean, Ortiz versus Martin right there on New Year's Day. Remember that? And then Thurman Barrios. Oh my God, that's cringeworthy. That was pay per view. Um, Spence Ugas, Gervonta Davis versus Raleigh Romero. Ooh, that hurts. Ruiz Ortiz. That was pay per view. Wilder Hellenius. Oh, that's rough. Paul versus Silva. Jake Paul. I'm including that in there because that's part of the Showtime package. It's part of the Showtime platform. So you add all that up, go to the bottom. And you see, it's pretty clear in terms of price, DAZN slash Matrim Golden Boy, 275. Okay. ESPN slash top rank, 278. So those two are pretty close to each other in terms of price. And then Showtime Fox slash PBC, six over six hundred dollars. So it, it's more than twice the cost of the other platforms. In fact, being a PBC fan and a supporter of PBC boxing, you will spend more money than you would spend on these other two platforms combined 
Think about that for a second. Now we can talk about the quality of fights that you're getting. And I can go up and down this list. You guys can do that too. And listen, as far as the quality of fights, I don't know that Top Rank had a great year because I'm looking at some of these fights and I'm thinking Tyson Fury didn't necessarily have a great year, right? Um, Lomachenko only fought once and we know why, uh, you know, we understand why. Baturbia versus Smith, I thought that was high value. Inoue's two fights I thought were high value. Devin Haney, his fights with Cambosis, that's high value. Stevenson Valdez, that's a high value fight. So you had some pretty good stuff in there, but nothing that broke through, right? You had star. The only star fighter I think they have right now is Tyson Fury. And both of his fights were lackluster because of the level of opposition. No disrespect to the opponents, but it's not the fights that people wanted, right? Um, but for diehard boxing fans who know who Naoya Inoue is, who want to see a fight like Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez, who want to see Undisputed, you know, Haney versus Cambosos, who were interested in Joe Smith fighting Artur Baturbiev because that was the unification, that kind of stuff. ESPN had a solid year. The best thing ESPN did this year is they had their prospects fight often. Their Olympians and those guys, they fought a lot and they got airtime. That's the best thing they did this year. They made some good moves and set things up for, I think, a big 2023. Over at the zone slash matchroom slash golden boy slash Canelo promotions, all that. I, I think the biggest events of the year we're over there. Canelo Bivol turned out to be uh, a breakthrough. I hate to say breakthrough performance because we already knew Bivol's quality going in, but it was on the big stage. It really was a breakthrough performance. And seeing Canelo lose after his domination over the last few years, and he was rated pound for pound number one at the time, that was a big deal. But then Canelo Golovkin three, that was a big fight. But then you guys, you know, look, man, uh, we got Estrada Chocolatito 3. That was a big one for hardcore boxing fans, right? Uh, Chocolatito fighting Martinez, that was a pretty good fight. Uh, Bam Rodriguez had a breakout year. I think he's the breakthrough fighter of the year. He fought exclusively on the zone. Dimitri Bevel is going to be the fighter of the year. He fought exclusively on the zone. Alexander Usyk is probably going to be the runner-up for fighter of the year. He fought on the zone. So um, when you're seeing, you know, all those guys, you know, the, the stars, Canelo and Anthony Joshua are the two biggest stars. They fought on the zone. Gennady Golovkin fought twice on the zone. Um, he's one of, he's a top five globally speaking, a top five boxing star. So the biggest events, the biggest stars primarily fought on the zone this year. I think they've pr clearly provided the best value to boxing fans in 2022. We go over to Showtime, Fox, PBC. Um, what was their biggest event this year? Honestly, yeah. was it was it Wilder versus Hellenius? Was that their biggest event this year? Was it Jake Paul versus Anderson? Well, that's not PBC. So, but it, it is Showtime. Honestly, though, was it Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva? Was that their biggest event? Was, was it um, Davis Romero? I, 
I mean, not, to me, none of those are like breakthrough kind of events that got the world talking and that are building to something bigger. Um, they, they had some important fights. I think overall, PBC's best fight was Charlo versus Castaño too, because that was for undisputed at junior middleweight. So for me, that was their best fight. Also, I like Fulton versus Roman. I thought that was a good fight. Um, Fundora versus Lubin. That's that's still my fight of the year. Uh, you, you may not want, you may not like that one. You may have it number two, number three, but you have to admit that's in the top two or three fights of the year. Erickson Lubin, uh, Sebastian Fundora, fantastic fight. That was on PBC, so you have to give them that. But how many how many fights do I have listed here for them? I have, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen. I think I have about eighteen fights up here, and nine of them were on pay per view. So like half of the fights that I have up here for the, oh, I'm sorry, one, two, three, four, five, seven. I'm sorry, so almost half, seven of eighteen, almost half of the fights that are worth note that PBC. Showtime, Fox had this year were pay-per-view. That is not a sustainable business plan. And I'm not saying this to beat up on PBC. I get accused of that a lot. I'm just showing you guys facts and data and numbers. This isn't hate. This is just showing you information. And clearly, look, if it's worth it to you to pay over $600 for, for that level of programming, Okay, great. That that is your right as a consumer, but I would argue that you could spend less than that on these other two platforms and get substantially more volume of of material, but also better material, better programming. So you get more programming and higher quality programming and it's cheaper spread across two different platforms, three major promotions than you're getting over with PBC. And this isn't the, the first year that I've broken out graphics like this showing the great, great difference in value that you're getting from these platforms. So as an American boxing fan, I bring this up because PBC is the biggest American boxing platform. They represent the most American boxers. And they are still on traditional, quote unquote, network TV with their deal with Fox, even though they really don't have a lot of programming on Fox. On paper, technically, they're still on, quote unquote, program TV. They're not on an app, right? And that's supposed to mean something. Well, they're not, that, that business model will not sustain in the current marketplace. It just, it just can't and it won't. So it's concerning. And I think it's worth bringing up, which is why I did. Okay, let's uh, let's take that down. Let's get to a couple comments here. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this um, because you know I'll tweet this out because I did it last year and I think the year before, and of course I got the responses from the un unpaid interns. Oh my God, this is just hate. This guy's a hater, but really. I'm just showing how you guys are kind of screwing yourselves in the end. And you're doing what Dana White said with the going out of business sale, every single uh, promotion. All right. We have a super chat from my man, Papa Chubby. Thank you so much, brother. 
says, our generation has been blessed to include Naoya Inoue. It's unthinkable that some boxing fans dismiss the smaller divisions while the monster lurks. I hear you. Look, I still saw tweets this week um, after he completely unified the Bantamweight division. And listen, I've been critical of Inoue's resume in, in regards of not fighting that many elite level fighters. Okay. But his run at Bantamweight has been pretty damn good. He's beat some solid opposition and other than the other than the first fight with Donaire, which was the first time he really stepped up in class, suffered a major injury in that fight and fought through it and still clearly won. But other than that, he has been absolutely dominant and outclassed every opponent he's fought at 118, which is his third division. That's special. That's special. And his path to undisputed at Bantamweight has not been that easy. He's had to go through some high-level opposition. So I, I think he's clearly one of the best fighters in the world. Uh, we're potentially looking at a generational-level talent. I'm not going to go quite there just yet, right? I'm not going to put him in the likes of um, you know Mayweather and Pacquiao and those sorts of guys. He's not even up there with like a Klitschko yet or an Usyk or those kind of guys, a Canelo, a Golovkin. I'm not going to put him there quite yet, um, but if he goes up to 22 and then perhaps 26, I think 26 would be his ceiling, and wins titles there, yeah, we're having that conversation. We're He'll surpass Golovkin and guys like that, and we might be having a conversation comparing him to the likes of a Pacquiao, a Mayweather, that, that sort of fighter. He's not quite there yet, uh, but I saw guys tweeting this week, he ain't fought nobody. Really? He has two wins over Nonito Donaire, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The first chance I get, he, he's, he's getting in the Hall of Fame. Emmanuel Rodriguez, that's a good win. If you, if you think Emmanuel Rodriguez is nobody, you really don't know the sport of boxing. So he's got a couple of really good wins. Uh, Maloney's solid win. Even Butler's solid win. Are those guys Hall of Famers? Or, no, of course not, but they're solid operators. Legit, proven top 10 guys, especially Maloney. And, and that Maloney win is aging well, too, if you see what Maloney's done. Uh, so clearly, in a way, in, in this era of boxing, at least, is special. And for some people to still be denying that, it's just bizarre. And I go back to the same thing I always say. Um, boxing has become more global, more, more than ever. And if you look at the pound for pound list, you see a lot of global representation. You go back 30, 40 years, you know, to the 80s, to the 90s, it was mostly Americans. There were some global you know, fighters from different parts of the world, but it was mostly American. And I just think that there are some mostly American fans, if we're being honest, and even members of the American fight press that are a little uncomfortable and I guess that's the best word uncomfortable with seeing these guys from other parts of the world get on these lists because they don't names like Inoue, Lomachenko. These aren't names that they're used to seeing on lists like that in their minds. Right. And they, there's, there's a little bit of sometimes animosity that comes with it, you know, because they're uncomfortable and they're a little scared. And they're seeing and hearing and feeling something different. And what, what I find interesting is in other sports, when this sort of thing happens, it's embraced. But for some reason in boxing, there, there's this 
I don't know, there's this feeling that there's just people resisting that, resisting change, where it's welcomed. You know, when Venus and Serena Williams came up in tennis, it was like, this is awesome. The entire American media was like throwing parades every week for these girls. And they should. I mean, Serena Williams is the, the greatest female tennis player of all time. It's not even close. She wouldn't make a top hundred against the guys, but, they, you know, biology. Yeah. But women's tennis, she's the best ever. And but what I'm saying is there was no resistance to it. It was celebrated. There, there's they just made a movie about Serena Williams father. Um, but there's just seems to be a lot of resistance for these fighters from other parts of the world coming up in boxing from some American boxing fans and some members of the American boxing press. And uh, in a way, I think is the, this the new guy. They, they were really mad at Lomachenko before him. They were really mad at Golovkin. And they were even really mad at Canelo, a lot of these guys. And he got a lot of unnecessary hate. Although Canelo's made it kind of easy for him, right? He's made it. It's hard to feel bad for Canelo when you're the highest paid fighter in the sport. He was briefly the highest paid athlete out there. Um, but it seems in a way he's kind of becoming the new guy that that it just he's got like a target on him now. And some people are kind of angry. It's 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 weird. I'm like, when you watch this guy fight, are you not entertained? Are, are, like are you bored or are you not having a great time when you watch him fight? And you can't say he's not fighting the best. He just cleaned out a whole freaking division. What do you want? So I don't know. Gal Falkenthal with a great comment as usual. She just does that with ease. She says Juan Carlos Payano was a former world champion and in a way iced him. There you go. And again, Payano future hall of fame or anything like that. No, obviously not. But a solid, solid fighter um, that's proven himself as a, as a top 10 kind of guy. You know what I mean? And um, anyway, just plowed through him. Absolutely plowed through him. So anyway, um, what else? You know, I wanted to talk about this. Um, boxing's best of in 2022. It got, so there's something up with the phones, guys. I'm sorry. Something's up with the software because it's showing as the phone lines are disconnected. So I know a few of you guys have said you're trying to get on the phones. They're down right now. I don't know what's up and I don't feel like dialing in right now. So sorry about that. We'll have them back up Monday for the last episode of the neutral corner of 2022. Uh, real quick, before I start getting to some of the best of, we got a super chat from Trent non Thank you, Trent. He says, what is your KO of the year? Fight of the year and KO of the year is Wood Conlon to me. But Plant and Bud had some great KOs. Fury called Usyk a rabbit. It's a year of the rabbit. Um, you know what, man? You brought up, look, Plant versus Durrell. That's, that, that's got to be in the top two or three. Uh, Bud icing Avanesian. I really like that because he rocked with a shot. And then came back with a two-piece. That's pretty, man. That's real pretty. So the plant and bud KOs different because again, Bud rocked with the shot, had his opponent back on the ropes, and like ate a punch, but he rolled, he rocked with it, and then landed a two-piece, right? So it's kind of a two-piece um combination that that put Avenesian down. Plant absolutely iced Durrell. It just iced him with one punch. Now, he did land a body shot first, so I guess it was a two-piece technically. 
but it was so fundamentally beautiful because he landed that shot downstairs. And even for a nanosecond, if that gets your opponent to drop their guard, even if they physically don't drop their arm down, if they drop their thoughts down to the body, right? And they're looking down there. They move their eyes down there. Their thought process moves down there. Oh, that hurt. Let me let me tense up a little bit down here. And then a shot comes upstairs immediately and touches that chin. That's how you ice a dude, right? Beautiful combo from Plant. And Plant doesn't do that. We've seen Bud ice guys. We've seen Bud do that. We haven't seen Plant do that. So that was like special. Uh, Wood Conlon was very dramatic though. Best crowd atmosphere of the three fights that were those three knockouts you mentioned. Trent, I think you mentioned the top three candidates. I, I really do. Although Fury and um, White, I think, deserves consideration. I think Wilder Hellenius, <laughs> as crazy as uh, just to piss some of you off, that deserves consideration. Technically, it was a one-punch knockout. Um, so, so there are other fights, you know, the other knockouts that we can mention. But Wood Conlon... The come from behind nature of it and the um, the drama of it, he basically needed that to win the fight. He was losing that fight, right? Conlon just seemed in, in complete control throughout. And then, boom, you see how it ends. So you know what? I'm going to give the edge to Wood Conlon. That, that, to me, is my knockout of the year just for the drama and coming back like that because it won him the fight. Plant was always going to beat Darrell, even if it went all 12. Bud was always going to beat Avenesian, even if it went all 12. Wood was losing to Conlon, and that knockout won the fight for him. And he put dude pretty much through the ropes. To Conlon's credit, by the way, he came right back and got in the ring. Uh, made no excuses, got right back in there. I love that. Um, so I'm going to say Wood Conlon, fight of the year. I still give the edge to. Um, to Fendora Lubin. I love that fight. And um, two young guys going at it like that. You really don't see that a lot on that platform. And they did there and they got a great result. And for Lubin, I don't think it hurt his career at all because fans loved that fight. For Fendora, of course, it catapulted him to a, a new level. Got another super chat right here from Will, the, the degenerate boxing fan, Lynch. He says, uh, so you're in your opinion, based on what you know about the current boxing landscape, do you think that we will see an undisputed heavyweight champion in this era? Thoughts on that? The three organizations all ordered fights. Great point, brother. Great point. Um, thank you for the super chat. So two questions here, okay? Or, or two, there's two pieces of this. How about that? I think Fury Usyk happens. I do. I think it happens next year. I really, really do. However, I don't know if it's going to be for all four belts. I don't know. Because the WBC might do some funny business with the Wilder-Ruiz fight. Um, I'm trying to think, when's the last time Fury fought a WBC mandatory? The WBA can always do something crazy. They've got 8,000 champions. So... It wouldn't blow my mind to see Fury get stripped or, or Usyk get stripped of a, of, a, of a belt for them to make their fight. Even the IBF with Hergovich and, and that whole thing. 
any one of those belts could be stripped by the time those two fight because Fury now is saying there's an injury, blah, blah, blah. I don't think the fight's going to happen early in the year. It's probably going to be like in the summer or something. It might be one of those summer Saudi Arabia fights. And by the time it happens, it might only be for three of the belts. My question to you, brother, is does that devalue the fight in any way to you? Because for me, I don't give a shit about the belts. The winner of that fight is the undisputed heavyweight champion. I don't give a shit what the sanctioning bodies say. That's what. That's how I feel. But I don't know how you guys feel about that. But I do think they'll fight. I just don't know if it'll be for, for all four belts. Because the sanctioning bodies might pull some shit. Um, they, they definitely, you know, they're known to do that. I will say this. At welterweight, okay, and this just shows you different promotional outfits have different levels of relationships with different sanctioning bodies. But the WBC and the WBA seem to be very, very friendly with premier boxing champions. And even the IBF, they are allowing certain things to happen with Errol Spence and the way they're setting up their mandatories and everything, he seems to be able to hold on to these belts. And I do think obviously Spence and Crawford are going to fight in the first half of 2023 Fox pay-per-view. You heard it here first. <laughs> you don't need sources to know that, right? We know that's going to happen in Vegas, blah, blah, blah. But I actually think that will be for all four belts. Because a huge part of the marketing for that fight is undisputed, right? That's They're going to market that hardcore because neither one of those fighters are big stars and they don't really sell on pay-per-view that much. Spence more than Crawford, but not by that much. So they're going to kind of, you can already see, I, I might even end up doing a video on this, but it'd be an hour long to show you the level of manipulation that has occurred in the welterweight division with those sanctioning bodies, all three of them. Um, the WBO has kind of just done their thing and been consistent with Crawford. But the other ones, it's there's been some ratings shenanigans and some mandatory shenanigans and interim belt shenanigans and all that kind of stuff that are going to allow for undisputed when those two fight. But the same rules are not being applied at heavyweight, especially with Usyk. The situation with the IBF and Usyk and Philip Hergovich, that whole thing going on there, you compare that to what Errol Spence has done with the IBF at 147, and there are some stark contrasts. So long answer to your question. Again, I think we're going to get the two top heavyweights in the ring next year. I don't know if it's going to be for all four belts. Don't know about that. And then Will also adds, 2022 had a ton of amazing fights. We had some great fights, man. Look, every single year, we get great fights in this sport. If you're a degenerate fan, as you are, as I am, we see all those fights, right? We see Wood Conlon. But how many casual observers of the sport saw those fights? That's the question. Um, even a fight, though, like, again, I'll bring up uh, Fundora Lubin. Um, I don't know. Did any casual fans see that? Maybe, maybe because it was on regular Showtime off of pay-per-view. So 
my hope is that those guys got some eyes on them because that was a fantastic fight. But you're right, dude. We had some great fights this year. Um, look, we get great fights every year. We get great knockouts. We get great drama. We get come from behind victories. We get great stories. That's part of this sport. That's what hooks us on this sport. The difficulty is all the other things that come with it, you know, and you have up years and down years. Overall, was this a down year? Was this a down year, guys? Let's look at a couple things. We could have on paper, everything was lined up where we could have had undisputed heavyweight and undisputed welterweight champions. Now, look, we got undisputed junior middleweight. We got undisputed bantamweight. We got um, further consolidated light heavyweight division, right? So there were some positive things. But, dude, when you look at stars, when you look at the names, for Crawford and Spence to not happen this year, and there were zero roadblocks. Top rank wasn't a part of this. You cannot blame them anymore. And you can't just say, oh, Crawford's being difficult negotiations. He's always been. That's what top rank dealt with for years with the guy. You think PBC has never dealt with a diva fighter who's difficult to, to negotiate with? It's a failure. It's a systemic failure that that fight did not happen this year. It's already passed its due date. I think it's also a systemic failure that we did not get Usyk Fury this year because Fury fought twice and he fought Dillian White and Derek Chisora. Neither one of those guys is Alexander Usyk. Usyk was contractually mandated to fight Joshua. Okay, I got you. While he was fighting Joshua, if Fury wanted to fight White, I'm cool with that. Totally cool with that. But later on, we couldn't get Fury and Usyk. That fight couldn't happen. I think it's a systemic failure. And we had a few of those this year. A few of those failures, right? So um, overall... I, I, I don't know what to call this year. With all the the, the pay-per-views on PBC, Gervonta Davis fought, what, once? And it was on pay-per-view against a journeyman-level fighter. No disrespect, but Raleigh Romero is not a top-10 fighter. Ne never has been, never will be. He's a journeyman. It's okay. It's not a, a crime, but he's a journeyman-level fighter. That headlined a pay-per-view. And that thing tanked. No pun intended. They didn't release the numbers, right? The biggest the biggest selling pay-per-view PBC had this year was Jake Paul, a YouTuber. So there's a massive systemic failure with that platform this year. And Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz, those guys, I, I think Ryan Garcia actually fought twice, but he didn't fight the guys who wanted to see him fight, right? Um, Tiafima Lopez didn't necessarily have a really bright year. Um, Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz, Gervonta Davis, these young guys really didn't have big years. Devin Haney did. Devin Haney did. He won undisputed. I forgot to mention it earlier. We got undisputed at lightweight. He got undisputed, didn't necessarily entertain our pants off, and he fought over in Australia, but he did what he had to do, and he became an undisputed champion. So he had a great year, and he deserves credit for that. But these other young guns, Lackluster year, bro. So I, I don't know, man. Uh, some good fights this year, but overall, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a down year, but it certainly wasn't an up year. It was almost like a stagnant kick the can down the road year. That's how it felt to me.
And I should also mention the two biggest stars in the sport, Canelo Alvarez and Anthony Joshua, both lost this year. Sometimes that's a good thing when it's an upset special. I think in the case of Canelo Bevel, that was kind of a good thing. But Bivol is never going to be a star. So, but in the case of Joshua Usyk, we already saw that once. We didn't necessarily need to see it again. And Usyk just beat Joshua again. So now one of the biggest stars in the sport is completely kind of like floating, treading water right now. That's not necessarily good for the business, right? Another uh, super chat from Komikozai. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. He says, speaking on Inouye and the animosity he faces with some Americans, will this dilemma ever go away? Like you said, boxing is more global than ever. Salute. Great question, man. Great question. Um, I do think so. I do think so. I, I think that the generation that's hanging on and has a certain idea and image of how a dominant fighter is supposed to look, how their name's supposed to be pronounced, you know, how they're supposed to talk and walk and act and all those things. I don't know how to say this without something like a dick, but they're dying off and they're getting more and more disillusioned with the sport. And there's newer generations coming up that are used to looking at the pound for pound list and seeing guys from all over the world on there and think it's cool. Um, there's also different immigrant. If, if you're talking specifically about American fans, there are different immigrant populations that are blending into the mainstream society here and becoming part of it that are going to create, you know, a second generation of fight fans, right? As they have children here in America and they're going to raise those kids uh, on, you know, Hey, back in my day, we had fighters like Gennady Golovkin and Vasily Lomachenko and, um, and Naoya Inoue and Nonito Donaire. And they'll talk about, even though Donaire is American now, he was technically born in the Philippines. That's why I bring him up. They'll talk about different guys like that, right? And these kids will grow up hearing those kind of names and thinking, okay, it's not so weird to look at a pound for pound list and see two Americans and eight non-Americans. That doesn't look flawed, right? But I can't tell you guys how many times, and I'm literally talking hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, I have seen comments, responses to tweets I've put out, videos I've done, articles I've written. Because um, when, you, when you post articles online, there's a comment section below. And I read all that stuff because I want to see the feedback. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen things like, oh, my God, this pound for pound list only has two Americans. This is biased. This is prejudice. This is whatever word you want to throw in there. Um, you know, when I was on the ring ratings panel, I was, I was on that panel for five years. Every week we get emails, DMs, messages, stuff like that from people. Because um, we post our ratings updates, right? We make it a story on the website. And people would make comments on there. And people would make YouTube videos beating up on our um, um, our pound for pound list. And even guys like Teddy Atlas and the clickbait kind of guys in the media, when they see a camera, they're like, oh, let me turn it on for the camera, right? Those guys, they would make comments saying things like, there's only a, two Americans on here. This is racist. And I, like, I, I don't know how you respond to that, but see those comments all the time. And there's just certain people that there's almost an entitlement where they think, how can there only be two Americans on this list? 
because they grew up with their dad telling them about Meldrick Taylor and like guys in that generation, right? Who are on pound for pound lists and how the pound for pound list looked then. So they have that in their brain still. I don't know. And they haven't been able to like wake up and, and smell the coffee. Uh, a couple of you guys have mentioned that Dillian White was Tyson Fury's WBC mandatory. Um, okay. All right. So thank you for bringing that up. So, so to, to my point I was making a minute ago, Fury taking care of his mandatory while Usyk had, was negotiating and ultimately ended up fighting again, Anthony, Anthony Joshua. That makes sense. That's cool. But why couldn't we get Fury and Usyk after that? And honestly, if we got a two-fight deal with those guys and we had to see a rematch next spring, would that be so bad? It'd be for undisputed. I don't think it'd be that bad. So um, they couldn't just they couldn't make that happen. To me, again, that is a failure. And we've had several of those this year. And I need to be fair across the board. If Spence and Crawford not being made is a failure, then so is Fury Usyk not being made. The only difference, I will add the caveat, Spence and Crawford have been in the same division fighting each other with all the belts for a while now, right? We've wanted to see that fight for years. Fury and Usyk is like a new thing. So Fury and Usyk, the due date hasn't, we haven't hit it yet. We kind of have with Crawford and Spence. So that's the only nuance I'd add. Will, with another super chat, thank you so much. He said, uh, I would watch that hour-long video. All right, dude, maybe we'll do that. You know what? Maybe when I get some sleep and my baby is at least three months old and stuff, we, we can walk through it. And we could talk about how the WBA, the IBF, uh, the WBC, certain fighters have moved up in the ratings. Certain fighters have not. Some fighters out of nowhere, like Keith Thurman jumping to number one with the WBC, that happened simultaneously while we were being told, and Steven Espinosa's gone hard at me, guys like me, I'm not the only one on Twitter trying to convince us that they were going balls deep trying to get Spence and Crawford made, right? And they had allies in the media posting articles saying, per sources, this fight's done. It was all bullshit. Because if you're doing that, why would you work with Suleiman to bump Thurman of all people to number one at the WBC. Why Thurman? Because it's in house because he's the only welterweight name quote unquote that you promote that Spence hasn't fought yet. Clearly they had a plan clearly. So, so my thing is if, if your main priority right, is getting that Spence and Crawford fight done, which is what Steve has tried to tell us on Twitter. If that's your part, why are you doing backup plans? And don't give me the, oh, in business, you always have to have a backup plan. I get that. I get that. Trust me. But your backup plan wasn't for Spence to fight Jerron Boots Ennis, who is his IBF, number one, right? And now we're being told, oh, Ennis is going to fight um, some guy named Karen, literally his name's Karen, who's the number four guy. And Virgil Ortiz is number three. There's nobody that's number two, which is really weird. Uh, the IBF does weird things with their ratings. But he's going to fight that guy for the interim IBF belt. And, and, and Steven Espinosa is trying to spin that on Twitter as 
Well, now he now Ennis will be the mandatory. After he beats Karen, now he'll be the mandatory. So he'll have maximum leverage with Spence. You're lying. His previous win was for the mandatory position. You've manipulated the sanctioning organization to make this fight for an interim belt to give you some time to get to next year when the budget opens back up at Paramount and everything else and the deal you guys are going to announce next year with that whole thing. Like, you're manipulating the system, bro. So there's that. And then Virgil Ortiz is number three. And I'm like, well, why don't you just have Jaron Ennis fight Virgil Ortiz, Stephen? Because he's three. Karen's four. Three's higher than four. Last time I checked. Oh, we can't. Because Virgil's fighting over with another sanctioning organization for one of their interim belts. You think that wasn't part of the negotiation, guys? You think these dudes aren't all working together to rig this shit? To, to, for, to, to like form it the way they want it to be? By the way, uh, what platform is the guy that Virgil Ortiz is going to fight? What platform does he fight for? Premier Boxing Champions, right? Stan Leonis, right? And he's getting 75% of that deal. And Ortiz is getting 25%. So, so like this whole thing, what, what they were really negotiating all summer while sources was telling you this a particular fight was done, smokescreen. They were negotiating with sanctioning organizations to get this whole thing lined up so they could delay this fight, do it next year when the budget, the books open up. And then as soon as that fight's over, whoever wins, Crawford or Spence, they're going to dump the belts and move up to 154. And Ennis will have his belt. Ortiz will have his belt. And those two will avoid each other for the next five or six fucking years. It's already set up for that. Don't shoot the messenger. But that's what they're doing. All right, so that wasn't an hour, Will, but I gave you a preview of what that video would be. Uh, Papa Chubby with another super chat. Thank you so much. He says, will we see Triple G versus Mungia in 2023? Yes. He says, uh, what does 135 look like in 2023? Good question. <sighs> I don't know, bro. What fight do you most want for 2023, Mike? Okay, let's start with 135. First, I'm going to have a sip of my beer. 135. If you believe sources, there's a deal done for Javante Davis to fight Ryan Garcia. That deal is not, the fight's not official. Okay. We've been told there was another fight agreed to, agreed to terms, but hasn't happened, right? Same with that one. Javante Davis has, I think, two court dates. So he also has an opponent. He'll, he'll beat this guy, but he's got an opponent. He's fighting another blown up guy and then two court dates. So there's a lot of things that got to happen before Davis and Garcia fight. But if those two actually fight, it'll probably be in the second half of next year, not the first half, second half of next year, definitely be pay-per-view. If they actually fight, um, it's not going to give us the lightweight champion. That's Devin Haney. But it will probably give us the biggest star in the division. Obviously, it will. Because right now, Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis are bigger stars than Devin Haney, even though he's the champ. So you're going to have another interesting dilemma here. Because you're going to have one fighter that's got all the hardware but doesn't sell. 
and then you're going to have the winner of Tank and and King Rai if they actually fight, who's the kingpin of the division in terms of name recognition and revenue, and maybe those two will start circling each other. Then also there's Shakur Stevenson. If I'm top rank and I'm ESPN, oh, also let's not forget Vasily Lomachenko. If I'm them, I'm avoiding the Tank in King Rai drama. They don't fight in your platform. They're TikTok stars. And, you know, just ignore that, that noise and deal with your three guys. Top rank's going to do that. They're smart. What I don't know is what order they're going to go in. They're going to have either Shakur or Devin fight Lomachenko. And then the winner of that fight fight the other young star. So my guess, my hunch is that Devin Haney will fight Vasily Lomachenko maybe in the first half of the year. The winner of that fight maybe fights Shakur Stevenson second half of the year. If that happens, that's awesome. And that is going to give us the definitive premier elite lightweight in the world. They won't be the biggest star, at least not on TikTok or Instagram, but they'll clearly be the best fighter in the division and the most proven and uh, have the best resume. So I actually think that will happen. I think top rank will have a good year. They're, They're set up. This was more kind of like a setup year for top rank. And I think they'll have a pretty good year in 2023. Super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much, Aaron. Says, yo, Mike, as VIP of Montero Enterprises Global. I like that. MEG, Meg, Montero Enterprises Global. I stipulate in the contract that this episode is a marathon only ending when you fall asleep. Uh, My wife might hurt me if I do that. Actually, shit, I'll probably fall asleep in the next 30 minutes, man. Um, I'd love to do a marathon. It'd be awesome. It would would be great if, um, Hey, you know what? My family is going to be here the last week of the year between Christmas and new year's. Maybe we could do something like that because I'll have help watching the kid. So maybe we could do something. Maybe, maybe that could be negotiated with Meg. All right. Maybe we can negotiate that. Okay. Um, uh, Will bringing up some great fights here. Um, Will's bringing up Ken Shiro versus Kyle Gucci. Great fight. Great fight. It was on my graphic that I, I shared earlier. Uh, Ruguru versus Zapata. Actually, great fight, but that wasn't on my graphic because it wasn't on one of the big three platforms. That's also a, a new problem. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Will, because it shows – We had some great fights, particularly in the fourth quarter. Some of the best fights we had in this quarter were not on a regular platform. Crawford fought on a platform that no boxing fan knows of, right, until very recently, right? BOK Prime wasn't a thing three months ago. Ruguru and Cepeda, they didn't fight on regular network TV. That, That was a Marv Nation promotion, and I like Marv Nation. But that wasn't on the zone, ESPN, nothing like that. So some of the biggest fights we had, particularly recently, toward the end of the year, were not even like on a regular platform. They were like on an obscure kind of second-tier platform. That's a problem. More platforms is a problem. So great point, but... 
it brings up another problem that we're facing right now. All right. Am I caught up on Super Chats? I think so. I think Gail um, agrees with me. She says, it's going to be Haney versus Loma. Winner fights Shakur. Vegas odds makers already have Haney Loma odds posted. Yeah, I mean, that makes the most sense, right, Gail? I think that makes the most sense for top rank because if Haney wins, then you got the Haney-Shakur fight. That's great. If Loma wins, that I they maybe prefer that. Because Loma's a bigger name and Loma versus Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson doesn't have like a signature opponent quite yet. I guess Haney doesn't either. But um, I think Top Rank realizes that Shakur might be that generational talent. I think they see more upside with Shakur than they do with Devin Haney. And he's probably more marketable as well. So that's who they want to come out as the winner of that little you know, series of fights. Gene brings up uh, Alcoli versus Opataya. Yep. 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 That'd be good. Gene brings up Estrada versus Ioka. Yep. That'd be good. I hope we get these. I hope we get these. <laughs> Mindiola says, I'll be your guest host, Mike. Let's do it. I might need you to carry the show, Mike. <laughs> I might need you to carry the show because I might fall asleep. Uh, Hamed says, uh, get Steve Kim or Doug Fisher on as a guest, like the old next round show. Yeah, I need to do that. I need to have those guys on and we just chop it up. That'd be a lot of fun, man. Get the crew back together. I I, I always thought we were like the, the three of us were like the, the best crew ever, you know? Um, and, and I've got a lot of feedback about that with Steve's jokes and Doug's like, Doug's like the polished consummate professional that can also kill you with shit talk. Don't let Doug's cool demeanor fool you. That dude can talk some shit. And then I get down there. My crazy ass gets in the middle of them. It, it, that was a, always a fun panel when the three of us got together. Let's, let's just admit this. If, the, if me, Doug and Steve ended up doing commentary for a platform out there, if one of these platforms hired the three of us to be their commentary team, It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. It'd be the best commentary team in the biz. And Hamed adds, uh, Ken Miller and David Smith were also good on UCN. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. And I, I've lost touch with Ken. Um, he's not doing a whole lot in media these days, but uh, he moved uh, away from LA and kind of is living a little more of a quieter life. But uh, of course, I still kick it with Dave. I was just on his radio show on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, last weekend. That was a lot of fun. All right, guys, um, we're at an hour now. I think I'm going to gonna, gonna uh, retire on my stool here and start the weekend. We will do uh, TNC, the last TNC of the year, Monday. And any of the year-end stuff that I didn't go over today, we talked about KO of the year, fight of the year, my fighter of the year, my breakthrough fighter of the year. We talked about that stuff here. But if there's any more like year-end awards you guys want to discuss and stuff like that, we'll do it Monday on uh, the Neutral Corner. All right, guys, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy it. I'll see you Monday. See you at the fights. Love you guys. Peace. <laughs>